We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network, the world for people who think... Welcome to the Halloween Behind the Headlines edition. Today is October 30th, a Sunday. And joining me in the creepy and kooky SOT studio is Corey. Happy to be here. Harrison. Hello. And from across the spooky pond, we have Neil. Hello. And Joe. <laughs> yes, Joe's here too. Hello, everyone. That's for me. Hello. Welcome, everyone. Today, a day before Halloween, we're going to discuss some of the frightening events of the election, which comes just in time. A stench of sulfur is strong. Chavez is choking in his grave. Soul-sucking vampires, hordes of the undead, all led by a truly demonic ambassador from the darkest regions of the netherworld, coalesce to bring the world down with them. A scary Pied Piper clown king is the least of our worries as the dead return to haunt the living masses. Unfortunately, this Halloween will not end on November 1st. It's just getting started. The barriers between the world of normal people and that of the unholy elite are being blasted open by the intensity of their evil emanations. So. Four more years. (laughs) (laughs) Bring it it on. It's a horror show for sure. And, uh, you know, just before the show, we were, we were talking about today's theme and, uh, and kind of discussing how literal we want to be about the demonic, frightening nature of uh, of the elite's attempted takeover of of not only the presidency but of so many other things. Um, and of course, it's a metaphor too. I mean, the politicians are a, a a mass of zombies who are conditioned to repeat the uh, anti-Russia, anti-Putin mantra, and to uh, basically steer much of the Western world astray. So why don't we begin today by talking about the very latest horrors we've discovered about the Clinton campaign and uh, and how that suggests a, um, a kind of, if not psychopathic, then, then certainly a, uh, 
a demonic influence considering all of their very um, evil-natured ways. Well, many people don't realize this about Hillary Clinton, but uh, she actually has no uh, birth certificate. Um, she appeared on the scene roughly at the age of 23 years old in pristine condition, and rumor has it that she uh, made a direct connection to the United States straight from the, the region otherwise known as hell. Cthulhu. <gasps> yeah, Cthulhu. She actually has... Uh, tentacles that she hides those are this she's not actually she doesn't have like a pacemaker or like a you know a catheter or anything that's actually just her cthulhu tentacles that she keeps under her pantsuit her Ooh. her um yeah her business suit attire but really she's just a demon was that the demon form. sounds plausible was yeah I, I learned it from wikileaks actually oh, it was wikileaks yeah. i thought it might have been veritas project <clears throat> mm -hmm. Putin told me that's where I heard it from. Her poor Taylor. <laughs> it's good mm -hmm. money, but it only cost him his soul. <laughs> well, on a on a kind of a literal level, um, you know, for years the joke about folks like Dick Cheney was the guy must be possessed by something, not merely a psychopath, but uh, he has such concentrations of evil within him. Uh, given all that he's done and all the rumors about the types of ways he enjoys um, spending his free time, mm -hmm. th that uh, there there must be some kind of ethereal or, or otherworldly uh, influence on the man. Um, but as for Hillary, apparently, you know, there's a you know we had an article um, a couple of months ago, posted from uh, Russia Insider originally, where they interviewed a Russian monk, and uh, you know. The guy spoke anonymously, but but he said, "Yeah, you know, given her uh, manic behavior and her willingness to inflict death and destruction, uh, you know, in my assessment, um, she is, uh, you know, probably demonically possessed." True story. <laughs> this is an actual monk who came on the record to announce that Hillary's probably possessed. I think it was off the record. Off the record. He's off the record. Yeah, he he didn't want to, you know, get the authorities in trouble. But um, you know, this was a this was a, um, according to Russia Insider, a a guy who was ex experienced with uh, leading exorcisms and uh, and kind of casting out demons from people or or whatever you want to call them. Um, he could recognize it in someone when he saw it in Hillary. He did, he did. He, yes. he, you know, by by the fruits you shall know them is how he uh, helped assess the fact that she's probably possessed. Mm. So, we've had quite a few reports lately that um, Roman Catholic priests who claim to be exorcists are saying that that the demand for them to exorcise people is through the roof these days. Mm. I don't know what kind of statistics they can present, but they're pretty straightforward in saying, you know, we've never seen anything like it in the last, what, number of years, this year, I don't know. I believe in Italy, uh, they, they had estimated that about half a million people seek uh, exorcists a year not that they perform that many but that many 
um, are are looking to get an exorcism. They believe that they need one. And some of them were saying, one of the exorcists was saying that they might do, um, they might, you know, go over 30 cases a day. That was in Italy. Um, and these are people that are self-diagnosed. They think they are themselves possessed or is it like for a loved one or a relative or something? I don't remember if it's a self-diagnosis or if they're referring people, but I, it was half a million. That was definitely the number of people who are seeking the expertise of an exorcist for assistance, which is pretty, you know, terrifying. That's an army of, you know, darkness right there going on in their lives. Well, the interesting thing is that a lot of these, uh, exorcists, you know, they're not, they're not these, uh, holy rollers who are just prepared to willy nilly go into a room and, and blast some people with the cross and holy water. Uh, they're, they're trained. Uh, they have classes in theology, and they try to rule out as many other possibilities as they can. Uh, you know, there are a whole host of other psychological and emotional issues, including brain chemistry, that might simulate uh, what some might think is possession and may not be and can be remedied by the use of a good doctor or, or psychologist. Um, but, you know, when, when these people, uh, some of them anyway, you know, when objects start flying around their room or, you know, <laughs> their disembodied voices going around. Or they're watching the debates. <laughs> or they're watching their debates. Maybe that's a good lead-in, Corey. Uh, you know, the... the well, when they start talking about wanting, wanting to... Uh, Vote for to, to run for con run for Congress or something. <laughs> That's a sure sign. You got to get the priest. Well, but then if you like, these are kind of recent stories with the exorcists and stuff like that. But if you if you even just look at the trends from the past several years, you've got uh, you know the the zombie epidemic of the the people crazy on bath salts, allegedly or not, people who. You know, they assume are on bath salts, but are actually, you know, they find no drugs in them, who just go crazy and strip down naked and try eating people's faces, um, you know, on the streets, random people, they just turn into animals. And then recently you've got this, uh, this clown epidemic of, of, uh, it's hard to know exactly how much of it is, is just like social media hype and how many are actually, uh, um, you know, actually people dressing up as clowns just to, to make mischief. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's going there's zombie, yeah. There's there's zombie con as well. That has I don't know where it came from because I don't remember it being anything existing at all, really. But there's, there's basically every year in different uh, cities, it's happening in the U.S. and a few different places, and um, one in, in London, I think, earlier this year. Yeah, they're all over the place. Where people just dress up as zombies, yeah. And uh, and walk around the streets, you know, go to a convention basically, but they act like zombies, you know, they look like zombies and act like zombies. And why you would, and what would someone's fascination with zombies to the point of wanting to spend hours making yourself look like one and then go and hang out with a bunch of other people who have done the same thing in a big convention center where you all, I suppose, act like zombies? Why would someone be so identified with that? Well, then there's weird. the craze and Go ahead. Craze of, of all body, full body tattoos and mutilation. I mean, yeah, that pretty much came out of nowhere in the 90s. 
Mm, yeah. Not nowhere. I mean, Tattoo has been around, but mm. not to the extent that I well, think for celebrities, footballers, yeah, sports people. Definitely grown over the years. What were you going to say, Harrison, about zombies? Oh, just that it seems like the, the zombie con kind of thing has is relatively recent. But if you think about like where the zombie image comes from, I mean, it's from the movies. And I, I don't know what the first zombie movie was, actually, but I think one of the first big ones was... was Dawn Night of the, the Dead. Yeah, Night of the Living Dead, I think, was the first one, George Romero. Right. And what, when was that? Mm. That was like in the 70s. It was like 69. Mm-hmm. 69. Yeah, that's right. The first one was in 69, then the, the second one was in the 70s. And then, you know, that's when zombies were kind of like a, a horror movie hit. And then just in the two, 2000s, it kind of uh, uh, skyrocketed again, where you had more movies like uh, 28 Days Later. And, and then, of course, you had The Walking Dead t- uh, comic book series and then the TV show and a whole slew of other movies. And it's like uh, it just kind of had this exponential increase in uh, zombie awareness. <laughs> it's, it's kind of yeah. weird. It's almost like them, you know. You it, you could make the argument that it's a kind of it it goes hand in hand with the decline of, I suppose, intellectualism and general kind of sanity in in a society, you know, where the people start identifying with things that reflect that general decline. That's something I was thinking. I mean, were people's were people more normal, like say sixty years ago in the fifties or sixties? I have to ask my parents. I think they were. Yeah, you'll have to ask our parents about that, but um, maybe they didn't know. But um, you know, we talk about this all the time, about how society has not just the level of an increase in psychopathy and you know, warmongering, pretty evil, corrupt leaders and stuff, especially in, in Western nations. Um, but... Certainly, certainly that those kind of leaders have come to the fore and it's become more acceptable, you know, in, in a certain sense. Um, but um, but also that people have, there's been a general decline in in the level of intelligence among the average person uh, over, say, the past 60 or 70 years. And I wonder if that's true. I mean, people cite certain things like, you know, tests in schools from the, 50s and 60s and how much more complicated they were how much more difficult they were and things like that you know mm-hmm. because we take we tend to take these things as a given you know and, and generally speaking I think there's a lot of evidence that it's true but sometimes it's hard to kind of uh, to define that I wonder if anybody's actually gone through the process of defining how people have become more ignorant and more like zombies effectively and if for example this thing we're talking about which is like the prevalence of things like zombie con, you know, people dress up as zombies. If that is, if that does go hand in hand with the general stupidification, which is a word I just made up, uh, of the general population, particularly younger people. Anyone? Anyone? Hmm. Well, this this conversation does remind me a little bit of um, this uh, study that came out. Um, that we've we've had a few articles on sought about uh, basically the military uh, coming out with a study about preparing for a zombie apocalypse I kid you not this was like I'm paraphrasing but that was kind of the the uh, the title of the of the article and so um, there seems to be something about uh, 
the this um, perception of uh, of of people as zombies. I, I think it does go to what you were saying, Joe, about people's identification with stupid things and dis- dissociation. Uh, mm. But it, it also, to some degree, seems like there is this, you know, this, uh, I don't know, a, a, a projection of, of zombies onto the great unwashed, onto the masses, mm. as, as just these thoughtless, uh, mindless uh, individuals that, that don't think for themselves, that has been um, programmed and ingrained and and manifested. We're seeing it. Yeah, well, take take the take the average person today, you know, uh, and it's if you look at you know the average, let's say twenty something today, or even thirty something today, uh, what are they what are they interested in? Uh, the majority of them, there's a majority of people there who aren't interested really in what's going on in the world. I mean, there's these videos that show in the U.S. People, you know, don't even know whether you know, who the vice president is, and they're totally disinterested. They have no interest in politics for a start. Then their general knowledge seems to be fairly poor as well. Um, and, you know, they're fixated on, like, the whole Pokemon Go kind of thing. That's a real zombie activity if there, there ever was one. Uh, and their general obsession with consumerism and the latest fashions and, you know, um, you know, pop culture and... Um, music, that kind of thing. That's what's being foisted on people. Maybe that's the culmination of this whole century of the self thing that supposedly was started in the US by Edward Bernays way back when, 100 years ago. Uh, maybe it's a, it's a culmination of that where people have just been turned into pure consumers who are fixated only on taking selfies, the latest uh, TV show, the latest pop star, what the latest pop star, you know, movie star said, the latest movies, uh, cell phones, cell phone games, I kind of think, and take that, and I think there's a large demographic of people, particularly young people, who are, who are, that's their life, that's their world, and compare it to people, compare it to our parents, when they were 20-somethings, what were they doing? They weren't certainly doing the vast majority of those things, uh, which you could possibly argue that means that they were interested in other things, or they were interested in more practical things, they were more intelligent, they learned more things, because they didn't have so many things to distract them with, so many kind of inane uh, puerile kind of things that uh, to distract them and, and leave them no no time to really do anything other than go to some job and then waste their waste the rest of their free time on on inanities and not care about anything that's happening in the world. I'm just trying to kind of get the trying to kind of quantify this assumption that we make anyway, and I think a lot of other people make that people have been dumbed down and turned into zombies effectively uh, over the past. Um, relatively short period of time, I suppose, 30, 40 years. Yeah, and, and I think just like one caveat to add is that I don't necessarily think people are, are getting dumber. Um, if I lo- if you look at intelligence kind of as, as just a, an aptitude or kind of a, a potential, like you're an, an intelligent person, if they're uneducated, if they aren't provided with Either the materials or the facts or the the um, you know the opportunities to use their intelligence um, will be inter- won't be interested in things that you consider like you know smart endeavors. So I think there's probably mm. a, a lot of smart people out there who just are totally ignorant. So they're smart, but they just don't know anything. And that, um, makes, that makes them ignorant. No? 
Yeah. It's kind of, if you don't, if you don't use it, you lose it type thing, or it's not worth anything if you don't actually use it, you know? Yeah. And who knows? Like, you uh, not have it. Well, yeah, for, for the things that matter, but I'm, you know, I'm sure in, in some aspect of their lives, they may, you know, they may be really smart at being a, you know, um, a manager at a fast food restaurant, right? They might do a real good job, but that, you know, in the, in the bigger scheme of things, it doesn't really matter. And that intelligence is wasted and it might, mm. and it's even put to, uh, put to something that, uh, that is, um, like not productive either for themselves or for, you know, the, the greater good. It's, uh, it's just, they they become part of the machine and their, their intelligence is kind of like exploited and kept at a level where, um, you know, where it is kind of like, uh, it becomes, essentially useless for you know what intelligence is actually um, there for and capable of if actually put into use Mm. and you could add to that the problem that uh you know smart people who are ignorant and then the majority of people are just just massively misinformed just on a daily basis and you know with where the, the information that they receive you know in elementary school high school college on the news you know in the mainstream books and i mean for the most part it's just a mishmash of you know a bunch of make-believe you know fantasies you know you know Mm. propaganda and all that kind of stuff and they get all this information and it doesn't you know it's not like one plus one equals two you know some of it is one Mm. plus one equals four some of it is six plus seven is two and they just can't, you can't fit it together. So there's no coherence involved. You know, you can't really solve mm. the problems in your life with all this information that's out there. So you just kind of start to disintegrate. You just would rather not even think. You know, I think a lot of people out there are just, I wouldn't, I'd rather just not even think since I can't mm. really make sense out of anything that's going on. I know that a lot of people are lying to me. I know that the politicians are corrupt, that the media is corrupt, that, you know, school was a bunch of nonsense. They didn't prepare me for, you know, the real world. And now I'm out here and, you know, it's just kind of a, uh, in, yeah. in that sense, kind of a zombie in that way. I think that gets the kind of heart of the matter, I think, is that it's the quality of information mm-hmm. or the the type of information that people are being bar- bombarded with and have been bombarded with these days or in the past 20, 30, 40 years, whatever, that um, it's got worse and worse in terms of the, the level of, of lies and, and false information that they've been given from official sources and authoritative sources has led them uh, to to absorb that information. And so what they give back, uh, re, you know, returns or results in um, on a test, for example, an objective test, if you could ever do one, that their level of intelligence i.e. their level of accurate knowledge is, is quite low compared to maybe 40 or 50 years ago. Um, and there's also maybe the fact that for when people absorb wrong information, illusions and lies and nonsense, and they hold that in their minds, that it could possibly lead to a kind of atrophying of their, of their intellectual functions in general making it more harder and harder, the more lies they absorb, the harder it is for them to then differentiate. And it's increasingly difficult for them to differentiate between late, the later lies and, and, and disinformation they receive, you know? So it's like a negative feedback loop or it's a negative spiral where they just get uh, more and more unable to, to figure out truth from, from lies. Mm-hmm. And, and I think bringing this back to, you know, such a person as Hillary Clinton, uh, you know, we, we know that she has some uh, serious uh, mental 
issues, uh, physiological issues. And certainly you have to wonder, and it's been speculated before on the SOT forum, that uh, the, the sheer number of huge lies that she's, uh, that she's made over the years in, in the interest of her own uh, self-aggrandizement uh, has had this detrimental effect on her thinking. And, um, mm-hmm. it, you know, and, and, and she is one of two people in this country at this time who are vying for uh, this, the presidency. So, the decider-in-chief. Uh, indeed. Mm-hmm. So she, uh, she's kind of uh, symbolic in that way of, of, um, of the, this, this degenerative process that occurs when people lie to themselves. And she continues to lie. Uh, right through her teeth, it's it's an incredible thing to watch. I think it's it's fascinating mm. for a lot of people too because it, you get just through the scandals that follow her everywhere, the emails, and you know the project Veritas or however you pronounce that. It's uh, it opens up this this window into this vast underworld of criminal minds that exist um, right beneath the surface of you know the quote unquote democracy. You know, you go in and you're voting. And now everyone has this cognitive dissonance going on that it's it's just so unbelievable the the official narrative versus the unofficial narrative that you're seeing in the emails is revealed about there, you know basically anybody who has the money they can buy executive orders they can buy Clinton they can buy her aides they can buy you know whatever they want and you know that you know Clinton has this shady history of murder and, and hiding all this stuff all that. Everything that, um, you know, from Benghazi to her husband's, you know, sexcapades <clears throat> that, I mean, people can see that there's this vast criminal enterprise operating right there and there's nothing that anybody's really doing about it until recently with the, you know, supposedly reopening the investigation into Hillary. It's a little bit late for that, though. But, um, I mean, it's it is it's fascinating that you get to see into what's been going on this whole time this this whole criminal enterprise that's been using democracy as a cover for you know it's expanding its reach around the globe or, and you know people kind of get to see the the really creepy creepy face behind the mask of you know Hillary Clinton well and you can see it on the surface too that, that the idea of the mask of democracy and the the language that um like the left so-called left in the US uses uh, like the Democratic Party. And I'm thinking of just a recent example of, um, well, first of all, uh, Trump's star in, uh, is it in Hollywood? What's the, the street where they have all those stars on the road? Something Boulevard. Hollywood the Walk of Shame. And, yeah, the Walk of Shame. <laughs> and someone vandalized it, like took a jackhammer to it or something. And then this, uh, several days later, this homeless lady was there and guarding the, guarding the star from any more, you know, damage that could be done to it. And there's these videos of these Hillary supporters basically confronting this homeless woman regarding Trump's star. And it's, you've just got to watch it to see the, uh, it's the absurdity of it because these guys are calling, calling this woman, um, a hateful individual because she's, because she supports Trump they're making fun of her for care, for being homeless and having her stuff, carrying her stuff around in a cart. And they, they are essentially being hateful towards this woman. And yet the, their justification for being hateful towards this woman is that she's hateful. And so you have this, this strange 
uh, strange mixture going on where you have these extremely hateful individuals and they are justifying their hate by going after other people for being, you know, uh, racist, hateful, homophobic, and they are just as bad, if not worse, because mm. they, because like in the case of this woman, I mean, they had no evidence, no reason to think that this was a, a hateful woman, um, that she'd, you know, do anything violent or, or, um, mm -hmm. or hateful, you know, towards anyone else. And they were, and they, you know, were instigating this and, uh, and uh, just being horrible people. It's just. Uh, it's. I watched it. It was like. It was like watching kids in a schoolyard pick on another, you know, one kid. Mm -hmm. I mean, the level of. Uh, the use of the language they were using and the tenor of the way they were saying it. It was like watching four or five year old, maybe. But they were citizens in adult bodies mm. and i thought if that's the kind of discourse in you know the sizable segment i don't want to say majority but of the population especially the urban population in the u.s um it's anecdotal but i would use that as evidence of the stupidification mm. uh certainly of americans yeah Certainly, I think people have have lost it, you know, um, on a lot of different fronts, not just intellect, but empathy and compassion, decency and sense of community and all that kind of stuff. But that's, that goes, I suppose that started with industrialization quite a long time ago. But um, I was wondering there about uh, Alan or, Shane, or Corey's uh, usage of the, the word, uh, I think you used the term liberal. Um, I just, that was, occurred to me, I mean, it's occurred to me before now, but it kind of, I was thinking about it again, just the, the way that the, uh, the West in particular, that, uh, really, um, created and, um, put forward or promoted the idea of, of left versus right, you know, political ideologies, mm -hmm. um, left wing and right wing and stuff and just how really over the past I don't know, probably over the past 15 or 20 years that those ideologies for me anyway have been more or less completely destroyed or mixed up to such an extent that they are unrecognizable anymore that um, because me, personally I would have thought of myself, you know, 15 years ago or something as a kind of a lefty liberal, let's say, you know in the way it was defined at that time, you know, especially living in Europe with the European Union and, you know, diversity and welcoming diversity and, you know, being very open to differences effectively uh, is one was one aspect, let's say, or one characterization, let's say, of, of, of a lefty or a liberal compared to a conservative or a right winger who was, would be more about national identity and even, you know, some on on the more on the far end of the right spectrum, even into ethnic um, identity and keeping the the differences separate type thing, you know. Um, but and then of course the other aspect for the lefties lefties was anti-war. You would have been, you know, against war and domination and stuff, and all about love and freedom and truth and all those wonderful things, you know, behind the bomb and stuff. But um, that has just been completely destroyed, and it was uh, in in Europe. It was kind of led. 
it's interesting that it started just around before and then after the kind of Iraq, the, the 9-11 and the invasion of Iraq, Tony Blair's uh, complete uh, distortion or destruction of the idea of the Labour Party in, in the UK, for example, which was an anti-war leftist party, being a worker, working man's party, a work, working person's party, um, against, you know, big business, exploitation of big business against uh, corporations and uh, and war, etc. And um, and he basically turned himself into, he, he followed a policy under the banner of a leftist Labour Party. Uh, he, he followed a policy that was traditionally the, a right-wing kind of invasion and, you know, for the elite um, uh, politics in service to uh, a corporate and, and political uh, elite. And in the U.S., I mean, I know it's been going on in the U.S. as well, but people still cling to that idea of Republican and Democrat kind of thing. But I think a lot of people today, uh, especially with this election right now, um, a lot of, a lot of, Democrats, let's say, and even liberals who would expect to find themselves strongly in support of the Democratic candidate against a Republican candidate find themselves, I'd say a lot of people find themselves looking to support the Republican mm-hmm. uh, candidate, Donald Trump, because of the, mm-hmm. the kind of things that he says um, that are more in line with the kind of left wing, some of them anyway, more in line with the left wing agenda. Whereas Hillary is seen as this, in the same way Tony Blair has 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 been seen, is that he's effectively just he's a, he's masquerading as a as a leftist as a Democrat when he's in service. He's, he's everything he does, everything she does is in service to the uh, to the elite and the war party, and you know so the whole thing has just become so confusing. So so it, it's there's no longer if probably for a long time now there's no clear definition between the two. And it's really coming into focus now with this election in, in the US, I think, with people just looking at both of them and going, what's the difference, you know? Or, okay, maybe there's a difference, but really, you know, I mean, and they're having to, they're being forced to look, I mean, people who are Democrats or liberals are, are being forced to look at the Green Party, for example, Jill Stein, you know? Um, because she at least says the things that lefties and liberals would traditionally have, have voted for, you know? Um, and even even she says Trump is a better candidate than mm-hmm. Hillary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's just it's interesting that that whole system has been destroyed. And but uh, you could see it as a certain as a kind of unveiling, as a stripping away of that of the of the of the false paradigm of right versus left that has been false, I think, for quite a long time, for you know more more than fifteen or twenty years, and it's a it's a falling away, uh, an unveiling of the of the farce that that left-right paradigm is and that it's not real in any significant way. And um, so in that sense, it's good, but it's only it's only good in the sense if, if a lot of people can see it happening. I think a lot of people are just um, confused by it, you know? Mm-hmm. We're looking at, well, I wonder what the turnout for this presidential election is going to be, you know? Because apparently there's something like 218 million people in the U.S. who are registered, who are eligible to vote. 146 million of those 218 that are eligible to vote are registered voters. So right there you have about, what's that, about 33% or something? A third of people who could vote are not even registered to vote. So right off the bat, you only have 66% of the American, 
potential voting population who are actually able to vote in and in terms of being registered. And then in the last election, for example, in 2012, 57% of that 66% actually voted, even though the ones who didn't vote were registered to vote. So right down, I think you're down to more or less about 35, 40% of American people who are registered or eligible to vote actually taking part in the presidential election in 2012. So I wonder if, if there's going to be an even um, smaller percentage, like if it's below maybe 50% of that 66% this time, you know, in which case you're going to be down at about less than one third of the American adult voting population will actually express any interest in who the president is. And then you, you look at that kind of that, that stark reality and you compare it to the stuff that's coming out there, the, the way they're waging this campaign is this, they're talking about, and the media talk about it in terms of the American people and what the American people want. And, you know, this is about our future and all this kind of stuff. And none of them are saying that 66, 65% of the American people do not give a shit. Do not care. Are not interested. Who are you talking about then? You're talking about a, a, a sizable, a, 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 a serious minority of the American people um, who, who that you're actually talking to. The majority of the American people, you're not actually talking to them at all because they have clearly decided they're not interested. You're not representing them. They've decided that you don't, these two people do not represent their interests and they're not even willing to walk down the street and spend an hour or two voting for one or the other. So it, it kind of exposes the whole thing as a kind of a giant farce. I know people say that anyway in terms of the two options that are being presented to people to be the decider-in-chief and to lead America towards greatness once again. Um, but it's a bigger farce in the sense that it's, it's obvious that... Uh, a majority of American voters are not interested. I wonder if I've walked away comes, already. I wonder if that some of that comes down to a lot of them just being uh, just intuitively aware that they're not living in a democracy. You know that they know that they're you know they or they've been convinced they've been programmed they feel that they you know that their vote just you know they know their vote doesn't count and they they know for whatever reason that. You know, they just, they don't care really because it doesn't get any better. And it's just a mm. system that's just, you know, going to be run into the ground. You know, it's just very nihilistic kind of way of seeing it. I wonder if them they're just intuitively aware on that level. Because it's it I has been it, a trend that's been developing for, you know, ever since yeah. post-World War II is people just more and more have just been dropping out. You know, we've just like a nation of, like you said, like 65% dropouts. Yeah. Well, I think it's also... Um Another aspect to it is that people in the U.S., uh, America is made up of whatever, you know, of, of states, you know, that have a certain level of, of you know, of independence, at least that uh, in terms of domestic policy. And I think a lot of people maybe, I don't know the figures, but I would assume that more people would be inclined to vote and participate in that way in their state elections mm -hmm. and, you know, local state legis legislator and their local kind of councillors and and governors and stuff of the state that they live in. And they're like, you know, it doesn't really matter. You know, I mean, most of a lot of, maybe most of what actually happens in a person's town that they live in, especially people that are living in smaller towns and in other areas of, of the U S other than the big urban centers. 
those people uh, aren't really interested in what in, in the president, who the president is, or what he what he or he he or she doesn't does or doesn't do, uh, unless it directly affects them, you know, in their little town or in their little city. Um, so I can understand why people would be disinterested, despite the fact that it's held up and promoted around the world as this major election, you know. But in a certain sense, it's actually more important, and we were talking about this in previous shows, why someone in Japan or why someone in Malaysia or why someone in Australia uh, is talking about who's going to be president. And then when you hear them overhear them saying, I wonder who's going to win or discussing who's going to win the presidency, they're not talking about their own president or their own uh, leaders. They're talking about America. In some cases, it's around the other side of the world from them. And why that, why it's so important to them. And I think uh, the reality is that who the president of America is, is actually in reality and um, you know, functionally practically more important to people in other countries than it is to people in America. Mm-hmm. In the sense that it has more impact, potentially, it has potentially more impact on people in other countries um, than it does in the US because the president is effectively, you know, the president and, and the executive branch and what, to, what, to whatever extent he or she has influence uh, their influence is, is more pronounced on foreign policy than it is on domestic policy. At least at the level of the guy in Syria or the guy in Somalia or the guy in Yemen or the guy or the person in Iraq who might get bombed as a result of the president's warmongering, mm-hmm. the U.S. president's warmongering, whereas in the U.S. some guy in Hickville or some small town in out west or down south or something doesn't affect him and most of the policies <clears throat> that the president might pass or might have a, have a hand in implementing in the US don't affect him either. One of the least talked about um, revelations in the Podesta emails was an email from a city group, city bank, city group, I think, a large US bank executive to someone uh, possible, I guess it was to Podesta who was working for Obama in 08, um, putting forward his list of people that he recommended to be on Obama's first cabinet. All but two of the 32 positions in the first Obama White House government were from his list. Now picture the time, it's 2008. Mm-hmm. It's the great credit crunch and subprime mortgage lending crisis, Citibank is one of the banks that's got bailed out. It's on, it's on the ropes. And they decide who's going to be in the government. Now, Americans didn't need to specifically know that to, as someone suggested, intuitively know that voting makes no difference. It's a big club, and they're not in it, as George Collins so eloquently put it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, just getting on to this, uh, were you going to say something about that? Well, uh, I'm, I'm just thinking about how after eight years of Bush, uh, we had the Obama presidency, and uh, you know, not soon after he enters office, he's given the Nobel Peace Prize for doing absolutely nothing but uh, spouting some, uh, some rhetoric about uh, peaceful intentions. And so, you know, the, the American public has had eight years to re uh, reconfirm their worst uh, suspicions 
about uh, the federal government and the presidency, and that is that they are either unable or unwilling to do anything that's going to qualitatively change the the um, their well-being or their or their quality of life in the U.S. Um, and th- that example, Neil, with uh, with Citibank or Citigroup, just one of many uh, of the ways that that you know we've seen collusion between uh, Big Agra and and uh, and and all of these other big industries and and the executive branch and the White House. Um, so yeah, I think there's a percentage of people who have given up in a sense, or if they haven't given up, then at least in Trump, they're seeing a, a smidgen, a shred of someone who believes in the things that he's saying, even if, uh, you know, 60 or 80% of what he says is, <laughs> is like ridiculous. Uh, but that that's more than having this uh, political zombie robot uh, of a of a political animal, Hillary Clinton, um, and so I think that's just where we are right now. Yeah, I think that I mean you could kind of divide the the politics that we see now between like the human politics and inhuman politics, and you know whether you're neoliberal or neoconservative. I mean, obviously their politics are in, inhuman, at least from the you know the effects that it has on the world and everyone living in it. And you know, the, I mean, really the only difference is that the neoconservatives are going to do whatever they want. And they don't care about what you say. They'll, you know, like Dick Cheney, he'll shoot somebody in the face while he's hunting with them, and he doesn't care. But you know, the neoliberals, they will do whatever they want, but they want you to think that they love you. you know, they want you to think that they're going to do it to save the children. And I mean, so it doesn't matter, you know, what they say or what their rhetoric is. But uh, I think people, you know, they instinctively dislike the neoliberals even more than the neoconservatives because the neoliberals are these spineless little creeps who are, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll do everything in the background while pretending that they care about the, you know, the refugees while the neocons will, you know, they're just, you know, pretty much, they're pretty much evil, you know, and you can see it in their faces, but, um, yeah, that's, uh, so I think that they like, you know, they, they kind of think that, okay, so Trump, maybe Trump, it does care about actual business about actually doing something so it's the only distinction i see well uh you you said the human and and inhuman policies which reminded me of an article we just posted the sat that i wanted to recommend uh it's catherine austin hit uh fits it's an interview with her and and you know it's uh about where the economy is going to go and uh for those of you who've never heard of her she uh worked for i think it was the uh um might have been the the Reagan uh, or the Clinton administration. She worked for Housing and Human Development. She also worked on Wall Street, and she looks at the economy in this macro level and uh, and political policies, and she puts it in exactly those terms: in inhuman versus human. And uh, it's a great interview. I highly recommend it. She puts a lot of things into perspective. Uh, so, just wanted to throw that out there. What were we going to so, say? So, uh, what do we think about um, getting down to the nitty gritty? What do we think about this recent situation with the Fed, the FBI, Comey, director of the FBI, coming out uh, well, talking about that reopening of um, 
not reopening, but that there's more information, new information, whatever, new emails from. Uh, new stuff has come to light, man. New stuff, man. Well, I think it's it's interesting <laughs> to put it in one word, but just to give our listeners an idea who haven't been uh, paying attention. So it's this happened what uh, one or two day, two days ago, and uh, James Comey, head director of the FBI, sends a letter to Congress saying uh now this so two days ago was 11 days before the election i think it's nine days until the election at this point so 11 days before the election comey sends a letter to congress saying that new information potentially relevant information has uh come to light in an unrelated investigation that uh, could be pertinent to the clinton investigation about her emails and that uh, we have no idea, you know, how long it'll take to, to go over this information and to see what uh, what is relevant or isn't. But uh, just thought you guys should know. It's pretty much the gist of, of the letter <laughs> that he sent. FYI. To FYI. So then within the next 24 hours, um, of course, the, the media uh, pounced on this story because it's pretty huge. And um, then there are these numerous anonymous, you know, FBI sources that then confirm to several newspapers and magazines that the information that came to light was emails found on the computer of uh, Anthony Weiner, who who is uh, Hillary aide Huma Abedin's uh, husband. They're separated at this point. And that because uh, there's an inf- investigation of Weiner going on right now because um, he just had another sex sex uh, scandal. <clears throat> He's had several um, this is the guy that, uh, you know, he's he's uh, he seems to just um, sext with any woman that uh, comes within ten meters of him or less, and or well, he he can sext with them if they're on the other side of the planet. But uh, uh, his his cell phone is probably uh, um, not something that you'd want to show your kids. Um, but so that ha- that's happened several times over. I think over the past couple of years, he's got a reputation. And then this latest one is that um, he allegedly. Um, sexted with this 15-year-old girl in North Carolina. And so that's what's being investigated at this point. And so the FBI, in the course of their investigation, um, basically seized his laptop, and that's where they found these potentially relevant emails. Now, at first, the stories that came out, it said that there were a 1,000 emails, and there's this Newsweek story um, that... um, it's hard to, although I don't really trust what they say. Again, they're quoting anonymous sources, and Newsweek sources say that this has nothing to do with Hillary, um, that it's not, it has nothing to do with emails to or from Hillary um, to Huma on, on this computer. It's strictly about, um, about Huma Abedin's, um, um, like how she dealt with, um, like her, her email material or whatever. And that, um, so basically it was kind of like a nothing to see here article, but now, so in the past day, New York times comes out with a story that says it's tens of thousands of emails on, uh, Anthony Weiner's computer. And so Huma says, Oh, I have no idea how those got there. (laughs) And, uh, and this is, so Huma had, had told the FBI originally that she had, um, basically she'd she what was it? I can't remember the exact details, but basically she'd made available all her devices and therefore all of the potential emails relevant to the to the investigation. And now this new one comes out. So the question is, well, why are her 
her emails on Wiener's computer, and did she know about it? And then, of course, what are these emails? Are they, uh, how are they relevant? How did, you know, what, what about them? How did the FBI not already have them? There's a whole bunch of questions about what this material is, what it contains. Did he send them to somebody? Why is he? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how did he get them? How did you he know, get did, them? Yeah. Did she know that he got them? Um, and then, of course, did he send them to anyone? How secure was his computer? Were, were there, uh, did he have classified information, et cetera? So just, you, you know, you can extrapolate and come up with a whole bunch of questions and implications of this. And then, of course, there's the issue of um, Comey himself and and his decision to to send this letter and make it a public issue because that's the big thing the Democrats are on about right right now is they're saying they really they've they've now turned on Comey because Comey was like their biggest hero because he he uh, you know refused to indict Clinton and they're like oh good job Comey you know um, that's exactly what we want we wanted you to do and now that he's done this mm. they're like oh that evil son of a bitch um, mm. he's this is totally politically motivated and how could you do this eleven days before the election you're trying to rig the election. Um, you know, I'm just waiting for them to say that Comey, you know, visited Moscow in his yep. youth in the 70s or something. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. and so it's it's kind of crazy. And the, and the DOJ apparently, Department of Justice had told had told recommended the FBI not to tell Congress about it at this point to basically hold on to it and just wait because apparently it's kind of a this is another one of those uh, Washington rules where you don't start something like this before an election because, you know, it could uh, mm. damage the democratic well, <laughs> Yeah, cert- certainly the FBI doesn't doesn't do it. You know, it shouldn't interfere and do anything that's seen as interfering in, in the outcome of an election. But I don't buy the whole thing because, like you were just mentioning, Harrison, his sexting with his fifteen year old girl was back in September. Uh, the FBI obviously were already on that and stuff. And why do they wait, what, six weeks to to get his computers or something like that? I mean, it, it just doesn't sound plausible that that. This is the, uh, the 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 true story. Not that he may not be involved in the sense that there may be compromising emails, or he may have had access to emails that he shouldn't have access to. He may give them to somebody else, or whatever. But that certainly the fact that the FBI comes out now and does this, you know, nine days or eleven days, whatever it was before the election, mm-hmm. is um, is very strange because obviously they can. Uh, sit on those kind of things. They can cover up things. They don't have to. Even the fact that Clinton was investigated suggest someone uh, at least in the FBI and beyond the FBI uh, having it out for Clinton because uh, I mean back in uh, around the time of the after 9-11 around the time of the Iraq invasion the Bush White House lost 22 million emails Mm. Uh, (laughs) 22 million uh, emails went missing and are are missing today still, and obviously those emails were um, would have been a lot of them would have been interesting in terms of the discussion between the White House Department, uh, State Department, FBI, CIA, etc. Cheney, Rumsfeld came out with the kind of emails those guys were sending, supposedly confidential private emails uh, about fixing the case uh, for the Iraq War illegally, mm-hmm. effectively, and all of them. Should have been indicted by the FBI, by the FBI if we use the same um, standard that they're applying now to Clinton. Yeah. So obviously there's a history there where they can cover that kind of stuff up and just not look at it and ignore it if they want to. But someone in the FBI or someone beyond the FBI decided let's 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 do this. Uh, so and now this more in, in that context, this most recent kind of uh, right before the election, 
them uh, saying, oh, there's more, sounds like a, a kind of fairly long term, at least since Clinton became the Democratic nominee, uh, a long term plan to to push her off the iceberg. Yeah, to, mm-hmm. to make sure she doesn't win. Well, I think th- oh, that's the question, isn't it? There's two Was parties. Put up to it? Yeah, I think there's there's two kind of parties that we have to look at and analyze their motivations because there there are the people within the FBI and with influence over the FBI that basically determine, um, you know, what gets um, what indictments to to go forward with, and basically what leads to pursue and which ones not to. And of course, you just have to look at. Um, for example, the case of Sibel Edmonds to see that kind of read her memoir to see how that works within the system itself, you know, while working in a field office. And then you look at the agents themselves and the people working on the case, because um, there are stories of, um, you know, um, I guess kind of anonymously of all these FBI and DOJ employees who are just um, horrified at Comey's decision not to indict Hillary Clinton. They're sure, based on what what they know and what they found, that that she is guilty. And I suspect even that you know um, there may be even more to it. I don't know who. Maybe it goes even back to like something like Benghazi. Maybe a lot of these guys know a lot of what Hillary was actually doing and what she's actually hiding, and they want to see her in prison, rightfully so. And mm. so these guys are are totally. I mean, they're angry, mm-hmm. and and. So Comey's got pressure from them, but then he's also got the pressure from the people that essentially tell him what to do. So the so I guess there's there's those two ways of looking at it. He's got the pressure from above from below, and then is there pressure from above from some like major power player essentially that wants Hillary to fail? And if so, you know, yeah. why? What 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 are their motivations? Yeah, we were discussing this earlier and we kinda got the, we were toying with the idea that um that in the halls of power, you know, in the establishment, in the American establishment, this is, you know, the people who kind of the eminence, eminence degrees behind the throne type of thing, behind the presidency or, or you know, who, who are in power and who run the show and have run the show uh, unelected effectively, you know, largely run the show for for quite a long time. But these people don't really, it's a patriarchal society and they don't necessarily like, there's an aspect where, you know, they don't necessarily like women. Uh, this is a man's world type of thing, and they don't like the idea of a woman present. But more so than that, Hillary's uh, quite—you uh, know—she's a bit of a berserker, you know. And it, there's a possibility that even for them, she has kind of rubbed them the wrong way in the sense of she 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 seeks uh, she's seeking too much power. Um, I mean, anybody can be the president as long as you're compliant and will just act as a puppet and do what you're supposed to do, like Obama and and people before them. Um, before him, but uh, Hillary may be given off this idea that she's going to shake things up, but not in a good way, not in a JFK way, but in a kind of like eking out some actual power for herself. And the fact that she comes from the kind of Clinton dynasty, as they call it, and her, for her to move into the into the White House in that context would suggest that she, you know, wouldn't be happy or would not settle for just being a kind of a, a puppet, essentially a. a, a for accepting the kind of ceremonial position of the president's presidency, so um, that that she's uh, that for that reason she's she's being targeted, you know, and also the fact that she obviously has quite a lot of control over the Clintons and her 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 connections go quite far. I mean, she obviously has a lot of connections in the press and in the media. These were revealed by the 
the WikiLeaks emails, the Podesta emails. Um, and there's even a video from not too long ago that was released where she was uh, answering questions on a, on her plane, on her campaign plane. Uh, there were reporters around her and the cameras looking at her and there's a reporter to her right and to her left and she's answering questions to the one, to the reporter to her left. <clears throat> and there's a guy standing behind her. He's got like a tablet or a cell phone or something and he holds it up to the reporter to her right who's waiting to answer a question and shows it to her and kind of gives the nod and the reporter nods back at him. And the implication, it seems, the implication is that, or it's plausible anyway, that he's basically giving her questions to, uh, to ask ask this question next. And then he also does, there's someone off camera behind the camera who the guy, the same guy is looking at after he's done this with this reporter right next to Hillary. He, uh, he t- he's typing something onto his phone or his, his tablet. And, um, and then he looks up and he's looking at a reporter that's off camera that we can't see behind us. And he kind of like, you know, tap points at his device and gives a nod as if to say, I just sent you something. I asked <clears throat> the question or whatever to answer next. So it's obvious that Hillary, the whole thing has been very well stage managed, at least by, by the Clinton campaign in, in the sense of it. Um, all of the questions she's been asked by reporters, etc. She's never had a hard question, really. So she has a lot of control over the media as well. And maybe they don't, uh, these people I'm talking about, the establishment in the US, aren't too happy about that fact either, you know, because ultimately the media is to serve their agenda, not the, the agenda, the independent or possibly independent agenda of any uh, sitting president who should really just be a, a figurehead. Well, there Something another- I don't like about that is that it's very late in the game to be doing that. Doing what? Pushing her off the iceberg. Well, it's the best time to do it. Right before. Oh, yeah. But it could be for another purpose. People forget, you know. People, if, if that's the agenda, that's what I would do. If I had something damning, I would dump it out like a week before the election. So mm. it's fresh in everybody's mind. She has no time to spin it. She has no time to get on there and do the rounds and, and, and cover it up, basically, you know. There, there could be another possibility for doing this, uh, assuming that the uh, the elites do want her in there, and that is to constantly remind her and have leverage over her, uh, and and remind her that they have the power to dethrone her, uh, Queen Hillary, uh, through the mm-hmm. FBI, through investigations, and right. um, use that as a kind of you know to push her buttons in in certain directions because, uh, you know. Whoever's going to be president is, to some degree, to some great degree, going to be controlled and puppeteered, and uh, and and that's how they know that they can control her. Now, as for Trump, if if this really is this new FBI investigation part of the elite's uh, strategy of of throwing her off the iceberg, as you say, Neil. Um, and on some level, they've decided to either accept or embrace Trump uh, in the seat of power. Um, is it possible that they think that, like Barack Obama after the Bush administration, that that Trump is going to uh, that putting him in there is going to release a certain amount of of disgruntlement and steam from the U.S. population that they've gotten their man in there? And that yeah. ultimately they'll just try and find the ways to manipulate him uh, to do the types well, of things that they want him to do. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I can see that uh, when these kind of people behind the scenes uh, uh, look at Hillary and Trump, Trump is a better option in the sense of Hillary has her people. She's got the Clinton kind of uh, dynasty people that are, have been in politics for a long time and there's obviously her, her, her husband and stuff. And um, she obviously has has made a lot of kind of friends and connections over the years and connection with her husband as well. Uh so she has her people in the system, let's say, that uh, it may be more difficult to control her if she were to be president. Uh, Trump, on the other hand, has nobody in the system mm-hmm. that are loyal to him or have his back or, or whatever, you know, or have a long track record of doing things the Clinton way or, or the Trump way, as, as, as is the case with Clinton. So when Trump comes in, he's a newbie and he comes in, he's going to find it very quickly. He doesn't really have any friends and he has to do what he's told. Clinton, on the other hand, knows how the system works and, and is expecting to get in there and shake things up and take control and start dictating things along uh, her own lines, and that's what they don't like. Well, the other argument can be that if Clinton were in the presidency, uh, that she would basically fast-track the, the TTIP and aggression towards Russia and uh, all the types of things that would make the elite happy given her associations and her allegiance to uh, the military-industrial complex and Wall Street. But uh, as you say, Joe, you know, uh, the Donald doesn't really have that, uh, that built-in mm-hmm. support system. So mm-hmm. uh, maybe there's something to be said for uh, the amount of control that, that they can uh, exercise over the guy. Well, mm-hmm. if, you, if you look at... Um the U.S. is kind of in a similar situation that uh, Russia was in in the late 90s. And really, if if Trump were to get in power, he would, and to be successful, he would have to do something like what Putin did in Russia. But like you guys are saying, uh, Trump doesn't have um, a support system. So when Trump got mm-hmm. in, all of the oligarchs thought that he would just be their paper pusher um, you know, loyal KGB guy that would just do what they wanted. And he mo- mobilized his own network. Putin. Yeah, Putin. Sorry. He Trump was in the KGB. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> now, no, guys. I think, I think I just outed him. <laughs> he didn't, no. Okay. Sorry, Putin. And what? so what he essentially did was then he worked besi- behind the scenes with his, you know, with the influence that he had to neutralize all of the all of well as much as 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 necessary the power of of the oligarchs and he did it successfully and he but the point is he was able to do it now that and that's what trump would have to do and the question is whether he would be able to do it and at this point it looks but like trump, no but he, trump, trump, trump couldn't do that at all number one he doesn't he's not a, he's not an establishment person he hasn't been right. in there he hasn't any connection he's a businessman secondly what putin did was that all putin had to do was get rid of the oligarchs, the, the, the business people who had infiltrated politics, but who are ultimately, and <clears throat> in essence, uh, were, were businessmen, right? Trying, multinational businessmen. Uh, and, and in doing that, Putin had the support of the establishment of the actual, you know, intelligence apparatus in, in Russia. He wasn't fighting against them. For Trump to do the same, in the U.S., he would have to. He'd be fighting against both of them, not only yeah. the oligarchs, the corporations, but the fact, but also the whole uh, intelligence apparatus and the military, who are all completely intertwined. It's the military-industrial complex. Um, 
you know, there was no military, political, industrial complex in Russia. There was a corporate or a, a industrial complex that had insinuated itself or taken the opportunity to insinuate itself into politics when there was this kind of vacuum of power kind of thing. But in the U.S., it's been so intertwined between those uh, those aspects that Trump has no chance whatsoever. I mean, the last person who tried to do it and the last chance there was to do it uh, was JFK. Yeah. Since then, they have entrenched their power. And uh, in America today, it's it's corporate intelligence, military, political, all on the same page. Mm-hmm. And the reason, one of the one of the main reasons I think that Kennedy couldn't achieve it is for the same reason is that he didn't have the the support and power over the intelligence services. He was no. he was at war with them and and with Dulles. And well, then, yeah, yeah, so, right, yeah. Compared compared to yeah, compared to Putin, Putin had the the FSB. Essentially, this, the, the Russian CIA, let's say, uh, on his side, Kennedy said that he wanted to spl- splinter the CIA into a thousand pieces. Which he realized once he got in there. Yeah. Oh, this is what I need to do. He announced it, and then he's dead. So. <clears throat> yeah. Well, so. since we're on since we're on Trump and uh, and Clinton, uh, we've got a few clips here. I think. Do you do we want to play them, uh, Neil? Did you want to? If we want to do that, do you want to introduce some of them? Uh, it or, is Halloween, or, so yeah, let's let's hear the freak show. Okay. So should I just should I just go with them? Uh huh. And then we'll talk after. Okay. So here's something scary. <laughs> Look, we came. We saw. We came, we saw, he died. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, one more. Woman running to be the first woman president. I cannot imagine anyone being more of an outsider than the first woman Who president. Who be more of an outsider than a woman president? Well, I can't think of anything more of an outsider than electing the first woman president. A woman president of the United States of America. God, mm. it's a bloody true. nightmare. That's terrifying. Well, yeah. we've got some. We've got some more clips, but we'll save them for maybe near nearer the end of the show. Keep you in suspense. Okay. Well, yeah, that that thing about the first woman president is kind of ridiculous because I mean, again, I I talked about it in last week's show, I think, but the, that video of her gloating over the death of Gaddafi, mm-hmm. um, that's that's not, uh, it's not womanly. I mean, they talk. She, she's Trump. She's she, not humanly. She, yes. she, no. yeah, she's hyping this idea of like first woman president, and all these women are supposedly going to vote for her because she'll bring you know a woman's touch and more, what more? What's associated with a woman's touch? More compassion, and motherliness, you know, uh, uh, what that kind of thing. But just look at the video of her gloating over the, the, the public execution of someone. She's she's. She's not womanly. She's not motherly. She's not compassionate at all. It's ridiculous, you know. Um, we have a call on the line. Maybe we'll, we'll go, on, go ahead and take that. Yeah, I'll take a call. I'll just say that uh, 
kind of pressed for time, so we're going to keep the calls short. So if you've got something to say, yes. just try to keep it concise. So, caller, oh. hello, are you on the line? Uh, hi, Harrison. Uh, this is oh. Ryan. Hey, Ryan. How's uh, it going? Uh, not too bad. Um, I'm in Australia for your listeners. Um, mm-hmm. just, uh, just to what you were saying um, just before about um, um, Hillary getting pushed off the iceberg, so to speak, uh, uh, Joe mentioned that sort of there's this un- unity of sort of purpose with all the um, uh, intelligence agencies behind the scenes. And I think that actually speaks to why that could be the case that with this FBI um, emails sort of latest release that they've, uh, that they are sort of pushing her off the iceberg. Um, Cause I was reading something today um, in political ponderology um, uh, by Andrew Lobachevsky, where um, he, where he says that um, imperial expansion is the order of the day for, for the pathocracy basically. Um, so, they would be wanting to try and sort of keep those wars going uh, where possible. And therefore Hillary would probably be the logical candidate for them to do that. Um, But if they can't, for some reason, like that they've been outmaneuvered by Putin in Syria, uh, then they would probably be looking to try and um, control that internal dissent in some way to because if they can't release the pressure so to speak by um doing external wars via imperial expansion then they probably realize they have to release the pressure some other way so if they got if they decided to back trump and um sort of push hillary off the iceberg and got trump in power then that would probably release a little bit of the internal tension and thus sort of um enable them to maintain their control over their internal situation, which seems to, according to what Lobachevsky says, to be the, the primary deciding factor for um, what the elite do uh, in, in a pathocracy. Um, does, does, that, does that sound feasible? Yeah. Yeah. Possibly. Possibly. Oh, Sounds well, fair. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I think that's it, all I was going to say. Basically. I think it sounds feasible, Ryan. I, I, but I can't imagine that they. And I agree that you know maybe uh, there is this intention to have Trump in there as a as a pressure valve, uh, as you were saying. I'm I'm just wondering if because I don't think that they would ever stop uh, the imperial expansion, as you put it. I think that um, they would use Trump and and send him intelligence and and so-called advisors to uh, really get the guy to do exactly what they want, uh, which is to continue by, by nook or by crook to uh, work to destabilize other countries as they're doing now. I, I don't think that um, that agenda will yeah, ever I, pause. Yeah, I, I think I think they would try would try to do that. Um, it, it's it's just maybe that all they can think of to do possibly is that okay we need to release a little bit of the um, internal tension and then sort of regroup and remaneuver sort of thing like um, uh, otherwise they would presumably be sort of like looking to back Hillary um, sort of all the way mm-hmm. and, uh, and I think it, it is too coincidental that they've released these emails uh, 
like well, quote unquote coincidental that they've that they've decided to sort of release these emails right now when yeah theoretically they they all should be backing Clinton as the war candidate kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think that's pretty reasonable assessment. Well, I suppose all of these are speculations, and we'll have to wait and actually see. Obviously, it goes without saying that we're speculating and stuff here, but. Ryan, I wanted to ask you a question. You said you're in Australia. What time is it there? Uh, quarter past three in the morning. And are you usually up at this time, or do you are you one of our diehard listeners who stays up all <laughs> night to listen to this show? <laughs> um, d- depends a little bit on my work situation, but um, I've lately sort of been trying to get some sleep in from around about eight o'clock through to about two in the morning, and then I sort of listen to the show and then sort of get another two hours sleep and, and then go to work. So, um, yeah, I'm trying to, trying to sort of, you yeah, ballot, ballot. Uh, Okay. It's my life. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And that's, that's only on, on Sundays you do that. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, I probably should do it for the health and wellness show as well, but, um, yeah. I know. Listen to the archives on the health and wellness show. Yeah. Well, fair play to you. You're you're dedicated. We like that. No, oh, cheers, man. You're a top fan. Well, thanks, mate. Um, yeah, yeah, great show, guys. Um, I'll I'll let you get back to it. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, really enjoying it. All right. We'll try and keep it short so you can get some sleep. <laughs> go, go for as long as you like. All right. <laughs> thanks, Ryan. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening, Ryan. Bye. Yeah, whatever is going to happen in the U.S., its imperial policies have momentum and it has the inertia of just carrying on doing what it does. Um, This Comey reinvestigation, in quotes, may be a bombshell, in quotes, in the U.S., but behind the scenes... um, Today or yesterday, after seven years of negotiations, the CETA, the Canadian-European Trade Agreement, I think it stands for, or mm. something like that, was signed after seven years of secret negotiations, mind you, mm-hmm. which only, it only became public recently. Uh, Prime Minister Trudeau of Canada signed in Brussels a deal that nobody wants, except the Eurocrats, who aren't even elected, that will create a free trade zone encompassing at least Canada for now and the European Union. Um, It's pretty clear this is a a prelude to the Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership, Uh, getting Canada in the door on Washington's behalf because TTIP will almost certainly follow, they think. Um, protests or not doesn't matter it's happening anyway it's signed, it's done Um, this is this is business you know this is how the world really works it just carries on it doesn't really matter how many democratic democratic crises or uh rigged elections 
come to light. They just carry on. Business as usual. I do think they'll hit a wall sooner or later, though. But um, for now, they're still getting their way. Yeah, CETA yeah. really is a, a kind of precursor to uh, the TTIP, as you were saying, Neil. Um, and there and there was a lot of balking about it, even in uh, Europe. Um, people seeing this for exactly what it is, uh, this kind of first step, this foot in the door of trade agreements that are basically going to destroy um, uh, national sovereignty of a lot of countries, ultimately. Um, so it, it's, it's economic and social warfare that's being waged quite literally on, uh, on everyday working citizens. Um, it's a subject we've talked about here on the show previously. And, um, you know, again, it's so interesting to compare it to the philosophy, uh, the economic actions of, uh, of the East in, in the types of steps that, uh, Russia, China, South Africa, um, India, uh, have been working towards with BRICS and, uh, and the other economic associations, um, so there's this splitting off of of um, of economic values uh, in in stark contrast to one another that we're witnessing with these two very big, very important, uh, very different movements in the world. Yep. Um, just wanted to bring up something. There was a story today um, in the UK Independent about. Um, well, it was more Russia bashing, Russia fear, fear-mongering for Europeans in particular. Um, that's a story that uh, Lithuania is, has handed out or is handing out an updated civil defense booklet to its citizens telling them what to do in the case of a Russian invasion. That's a 75-page manual that offers survival techniques and warns readers that Russia would not hesitate to use military force against its neighbors. Uh, <laughs> it's according to the BBC, actually. Uh, and they set up a telephone hotline for Lithuanians to report anything, anyone they suspect of as uh, of being a Russian spy. <clears throat> um, the manual states, and there's a quote from it, it says, it is most important that the civilians are aware and have a will to resist when these elements are strong, an aggressor has difficulties in creating an environment for military invasion. And the country's head of state security said that every Lithuanian citizen has, can become a target of spying. Uh, of course, they mentioned the fact that, uh, according to NATO, I think an American think tank said that NATO, uh, oh, sorry, an American think tank warned NATO that Russia could overrun the Baltic states in as little as 36 hours. And then you get to the uh, the real reason for this kind of thing is Lithuania is currently in talks to buy missile defense systems worth up to £100 million. And uh, in, in February next year, Germany is going to send them between 400 and 600 troops as well as tanks to, to the country. So um, it's just a thing that... Uh, Reading this, of course, there's many other stories like it, uh, hysterical, mm-hmm. uh, anti-Russian propaganda in the Western press over the past few years. But uh, it reminded me of the term, uh, the Cold War playbook. 
mm-hmm. uh, that the, uh, the Pentagon back, you know, whenever, I don't know how long ago it was, but they, uh, the U.S. State Department and the Pentagon, etc., said at some point that they were having to dust off their their kind of Cold War tactics uh, to deal with Russia. And if you think about that, <clears throat> it kind of suggests, because all of these, all of this stuff that you're hearing, this anti-Russian propaganda and fear-mongering and getting people um, in Europe in particular to be terrified of a Russian invasion and all the reports about Russia, potential for Russian invasion, it's all absolute lies. It's all almost deliberate and conscious uh, lies uh, spread by Western European and American governments and the media. And if that is them dusting off their Cold War playbook, playbook, then the Cold War itself was largely uh, a myth or based on, on lies and propaganda uh, and that it had a different agenda altogether. Um, that the whole kind of McCarthyism was part of that, reds under the bed, and the repeated threats throughout the 60s and 70s, and even into the 80s, of the threat from the, the commie, the red menace. Uh, all of it was was propaganda, and the Cold War itself was propaganda. So when they say that they're dusting off the Cold War playbook, what they really say, when they said that a year or two ago, what they were saying was that uh, they were giving you know, word to the wise type of thing are those who, who knew that we're going to launch a propaganda offensive against Russia uh, spreading blatant lies about the threat from Russia in an effort to deal with uh, the, the actual threat that Russia poses, which is uh, effectively an economic uh, and political rather than military threat. But they're, they ignore that don't tell anyone about that and hype up the military, the, the bogus military threat, i.e. Russia is going to invade and is planning to invade and blah, 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 blah. So I just thought it was interesting and I thought I'd share it with all you lovely people. I think, I think it is interesting the, you know, with all the, the facts and coming out about the real history of the Cold War. Um, I mean, you know, it is, it does seem like an exact repeat, you know, obviously they're, you know, it it pretty much is just an exact repeat of history with, you know, yeah. after World War Two, you know, Russia was not in a position, the USSR was not in a position to invade Europe. But that's exactly what everyone mm-hmm. was told, that Russian troops are on the door and they're going to invade mm-hmm. Europe. And that's their plan. The only thing they understand is force. So we need to arm everyone and we need to sell as many weapons to everybody. We need to topple as many governments mm-hmm. as we can. And I mean, at the same time, you know, as they're saying this, it's kind of a, you know, you imagine if... You know, if they had a Stalin today or, you know, if you had anybody but Putin today, how Russia would have reacted, you know, and back in the day, the CIA was, you know, dropping agents all the time into Russia and they were recruiting uh, Nazis, you know, that Russia or that the USSR wanted to, you know, to capture and to bring to justice. And Russia was well aware of what, you know, the U.S. intentions were. And so I remember uh, reading a story about uh, Dwight Eisenhower's uh, hatchet man i think it was walter beetle smith he went to have a meeting with uh, stalin shortly after the, uh, the end of world war ii and he met with stalin and he said to him he said what are your plans for europe and how far are you willing to go and stalin just said uh, not far 
And then, and he said, and then Stalin replied, we know who our real enemies are. And he said, you surely you don't think that there's a vast conspiracy between Britain and America against you. And Holland and Stalin just goes, duh. <laughs> and I mean, so that was kind of the, and then, you know, I mean, obviously after a meeting like that, you know, Walter Beadlesmith probably came back and he's like, he's planning something. <laughs> But, you know, I mean, it was just a bunch of hysteria and then a bunch of paranoid people coming up with paranoid conspiracies. And, you know, it's just insane. To service an agenda. To service an agenda, yeah. A paranoid, uh, you know, mind or paranoid narrative to to serve uh, a a totally different narrative, which ultimately is about making money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's, There's a big difference this time around, though. China has a lot of money to spend. And it's rapidly buying up assets all over the world, but particularly in Europe. I wonder if the rush to ink this CETA deal with Canada as a prelude to TTIP is in part motivated by this massive buying spree the Chinese have undertaken in Europe. Um, it's, it's worrying the German vice president so much that he's threatening to block China from becoming a member of the World Trade Organization. Um, the backstory here is China's been on a waiting list for 15 years. It had to um, satisfy certain criteria to be able to be a fully fledged member of the board, et cetera, et cetera. So it's done everything it, ha- it needs to do to play by the rules. And now at the last, um, this is their 15th year, they're about to become, come on the board, so to speak. They're threatening to withhold this from them as a stick with which to beat them over the heads about what? Buying up assets in Europe? Well, you can't stop it except through political means because they're playing by the rules. They're playing by the rules that you set. They're playing by the good capitalist rules of the system that you created. And now you're going to turn around. We've seen this already with the IMF. They're not letting China and among other countries have full voting rights on the board of the IMF because, sorry, we don't like you. You're Chinese. That's basically what it comes down to. Um, that's why China went and said, fine then. We're setting up our own parallel world governance structure with the AIB and other institutions, the BRICS banks and so on. And now they're going to do the same thing in the World Trade Organization. And China's probably going to have to set up another parallel structure. And, you know, uh, that remains to be seen. But what it got me thinking was China, Trump doesn't actually say this, but uh, he's right to be harping on about it because they're buying up. Um, infrastructure, all kinds of things in Europe, uh, investing heavily in new projects. Mm-hmm. I've got this, I have this sort of glim- possible glimpse of a future. Is it like China's going to buy up Europe such that by the time Europe is in TTIP, <laughs> China will have a back door to buying up the US? <laughs> <laughs> you know, all things are open and uh, the, the best laid plans with wishful thinking on board, which is extreme in Washington these days, you know, I can see things unraveling completely against the way they think they're going to unravel. Uh, we'll see. All right. Well, on that note, um, since you mentioned Trump and China, let's uh, play our last two clips before we end the show. So, Here's something else that uh, is kind of scary, I think. I'm not sure. We'll see. 
China, 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 <laughs> okay, one more. Ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce to you the next president of the United States, Donald Trump. Do you want to build a wall? Let's make a plan today. It will cost a lot of money, but that's fine. We'll get Mexico to pay. Do you want to build a wall? All right. And on that That's note, it? happy Halloween, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Any comments? Yeah, just Lynn in the chat room just made a good point. Uh, not as creepy as Killary. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's pretty hard it's to not, be. As, it's hard to be. Yeah, it, it's hard to be that creepy, so. <laughs> yeah, who's the DJ in that one? Trick or treat? I suppose Trump's the treat. Mm. Huh? I don't know. Let's not get carried away. Yeah. Um, building a wall. Whatever. You know, what is it? 1,900 miles? Whatever. Are, pe- are people stupid? Getting back to what we started the show with. Are people stupid? Uh, have they got a lot more stupid than, than, than they used to be? You know, like People six years ago, could they, could they understand that when Trump says, I'm going to build a wall along the American border with Mexico, uh, that he's not? That he says that when he says that as part of his presidential campaign, just like every other president, they're not going to do it. Uh, especially in this case where he's talking about building a wall all the way along the American border, which is like, yeah. Um, I think, the, well, I don't know. Is it so I was looking at something that said it was like 1,900 miles or 1,500 miles or something. Well, long sections of it have already been built. No, not a lot of it has already been built and it's not a wall. Well, it's certainly a barrier. You can't fence, get past it. A crappy fence. They can get over it, no problem. Uh, That's why he wants to build a wall. A big 25-foot wall. Okay. Bricks and mortar. <laughs> How are they going to get down and then, once they get to the top of the wall? <laughs> well, exactly. Forcing all of the uh, Mexicans to go and get ladders. <laughs> previously, they, they could just climb a fence, you know. They don't need a ladder, but now they're going to need ladders. Or build tunnels. And everybody knows Everybody knows Mexico's down in ladders. Use a rope. If I was in Canada, I'd be thinking about a wall too. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, you contain the problem. <laughs> yeah. Somewhat. Right. The whole the whole idea is ridiculous, you know, that it would stop immigration. He's just campaigning on that and you know, because that's what some people wanted to wanted to hear. So, you know, we have one more show. Yeah. Where we can Harp on about, yeah, and then four years without talking about presidents or elections. Yeah. <laughs> four more years, except and we can just take except a break for four years. <laughs> yeah. yeah, except that the new election cycle will begin in two years. Yeah, why? And we'll be talking about it. No, no. we only talk about it towards. <laughs> yeah, we don't talk about those elections. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyway, well. Thank you 
for listening this week. Ryan, thanks for calling in. We want to thank our chatters too, Lynn, for that observation on the relative creepiness between Trump and and Hillary. And uh, listen in, tune in to the Health and Wellness Show next week. And uh, we'll be back next Sunday with either another Behind the Headlines or Truth Perspective. In the meantime, stay safe. Have a safe and good Halloween. Don't get too freaked out by anything you do. And uh, yeah. take care, everyone. All right. Take care. See ya. Bye. See ya. Bye-bye. See you next week. Ooh. Bye. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> 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 <laughs>